Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Marriage, friendship, that's all we're about today on Trending. For our weekly happy hour, do you have difficulty with friendships? How do you build friendships when keeping busy is emotionally easier? It seems as if we move at a faster and faster pace. And sometimes it's almost a distraction to fill the time from the emotional capital it takes to build new and long-lasting friendships. Also interesting, marriage is becoming rare in England. How do you encourage people to get married and stay married? We'll discuss that with Father Nathan Cromley here on Trending in a Moment, along with the crisis of friendship. It's interesting to me because we are talking right now on a governmental level about founding an entire office, a department in the government to help with the loneliness epidemic. But maybe there's something we as people of faith can do, and there is. Also, later on the show, we'll be licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder to talk about how do you save your marriage by yourself. Is it possible? Stay with me here on Trending. It's our happy hour. If you have a question for Father Nathan, my guest today, the number is 888-914-9149, or you can submit your question on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M. E-R-I-E, where we're also tagging the community of St. John, specifically the St. John Institute, which is founded by Father Nathan Cromley. And the St. John Institute is focused on forming and equipping leaders in this generation in everywhere from home life to the workplace. I love the St. John Institute and Eagle Eye Ministries with Father Nathan. They're great retreats too that you need to check out for young adults with Eagle Eye Ministry. So all of that can be found at stjohninstitute.org. Father Nathan, welcome back to Trending. Hey, Timory, glad to be back with you. I am amazed by many of the pieces I've read recently on the topic of friendship. It's an interesting topic as well right now as the government's considering creating a whole office dedicated to helping people with loneliness and isolation. Now, that's a whole conversation in and of itself, but there's a recent article I read talking about how a lot of people are not willing essentially to spend the emotional capital on friendships, and they'd rather just fill themselves and their time with other things instead of putting in the hard work. And it seems to be the common complaints for many people are really that when they try to build new friendships, either they don't see it being reciprocated or they simply just don't have time to do so. I'm curious of what you think about what's happening with friendship, loneliness, and isolation today and what we do about it. Geez, Timory, it's such a big topic and so important uh, for us because we're really touching something that's at the heart of how God made us. Uh, He made the human person for communion with others. And uh, from, I mean, go back to the original solitude, for example, of Adam in Genesis chapter two, and it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Is so God set out to make him a helpmate, right? Which is, of course, Eve. And John Paul II, you know, just, dis- uh, you know, describes that moment where the, the two were given to each other as a moment of great joy because at last man could give 
himself and be received by woman, could give herself and be received by man. And so the two could find the, the truth about themselves. It's actually Gaudium at Spes, chapter 22, that has that famous quote, John Paul II used to quote all the time, which said, man is the only creature that God willed for his own sake and who can only find himself by a sincere gift of himself. So when we talk about friendship, we're talking about like really something really fundamental. I mean, like we can't know who we are in our depths without that, that companionship of, of heart that a friend provides. So I just want to you know, begin our little dialogue here by signaling to the listeners that it's really not an option, right? So these articles that are being written about the decline uh, in, in our willingness to find friendships, it's, it's a very serious thing because we could distort something foundational about who we are, namely that we're made for love. And that's partially what I find frightening about the government thinking about stepping in to try and help people make social <laughs> connections and to track social connections because this is fundamentally a religious conversation because it is our faith that inspires us to selfless relationships. So again, like the whole government intervention here is insane to me, but I also understand, Father, the pain people are going through when they do try to make friendships. I hear frequently from people who are considering relocating or have relocated. We relocated for a couple of years to the Midwest and friendships was a driving force as to why we left. It was so difficult to make them. And it's interesting because I've heard people comment, there's not enough time or there's a lack of reciprocation. And I saw the predominantly the reciprocation challenge. And I don't know if it's just a matter geographically of where you're at, but in certain areas, I find, especially in the Midwest, people grew up there, they live there, they're content with their friendships, and they don't really need more friendships. And so sometimes there's a lack of responsiveness and you can't fix that or change it. You need to be able to know when to move on, but also be inspired to keep pursuing and not give up on friendships as well. Because as you said, that's fundamental to who we are as human beings. Well, the first point I want to bring up there is that where, wherever the government replaces the church, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> mm. You know, and so when if the government thinks it's going to solve loneliness, I, I mean, really, like the 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 pride in this whole factor is just oh, out of the church. Church. I mean, so th this is a role of the church. This is the role of the family, and the role of the extended family, the role of the church as the people of God. Uh, and no government's going to be able to 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 patch this. But moving on to your second point, which I think is a lot more important, you know, how do we actually do it? I want to like I don't know, open the the dialogue a little bit here, we put some oxygen into this conversation because in the end, like, hey, this is a real opportunity for us. There are people listening right now who are who are struck to the heart because they're saying, "That's me. I don't have a friend." I don't have anyone that I can confide in. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants to know who I am. And there's an opportunity here because remember that every single one of us is free and you can listen to that voice in your head, that voice that kind of makes you a victim of other people not choosing you or other people not wanting you or whatever you want to think about. Or you could listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who's like, maybe it's time for you to reach out. Uh, there's a lack of reciprocity. Well, there's also a time where you have to shake the dust off your sandals. Uh, but there's going to be other people that are just waiting for someone to get creative. Uh, I think, Timory, like learning how to play cards <laughs> is a great way cards. to make friends. 
Yes. I think Euchre Euchre will save the world. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that we're too self-focused on our own desire for friendship or aversion to it, that that's part of the hurdle right now with the friendship crisis? I would would also take a look at it and say, I bet that the same behaviors that are turning you off to other people, you're exhibiting yourself. I mean, when we Mm -hmm. spend hours a day looking at the media that we want to consume and texting the people we want to text, our eyes are down, our hearts are closed, and we're focusing in only on ourselves. That's no way to make a friend. Nobody wants to be with somebody who only wants to be with themselves. Like mm-hmm. there, there's an openness that of a commonality. Okay, the very first step to friendship is that it depends upon what you put in common. So what do you share? I mean, some people share a bar stool. Hey, that's the beginning. You know, it's like a bar is like someone's living room. Yeah, it's like you get to go to your own living room and you get to be there and share that space. Hey, that's at least something that you're sharing. But you can build on that and you need to be willing to share more from sharing activities to sharing possessions to sharing time. But if if you want to find friends, look for people who are looking to share and look to share with them. That's the beginning and the foundation of the thing. But obviously, I think... uh, I think that the problem is others, obviously, yes. But a lot of times we have to also take an assessment of ourselves and say, when was the last time that I broke out of my comfort zone and actually opened myself to what other people are thinking and open to? And maybe that's the beginning for something great to happen. But also opening ourselves to the isolation of other people. I think it's so poignant in our culture right now. And I I even think of, I think it was Thanksgiving this year. I went to the store in the morning or maybe the day before on Thanksgiving. And I was asking the checker. He was probably in his early 20s. Oh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And it was the saddest response. He had no plans. And you could tell it was this painful experience. And I was super pregnant at the time and traveling a couple hours out of town for Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I wish I could just take you. And I almost awkwardly offered. And part of me still regrets that I didn't. I didn't know this person at all. And it would have been an out of the blue offer and probably likely declined or maybe surprisingly not declined. But even, you know, for me, it was all these hurdles like, oh, well, I'm pregnant. There's all this going on. We're traveling a couple hours away for Thanksgiving. Yet at the end of the day, like shame on me in a certain respect, like we have the ability sometimes to reach out, even if it's just a one-time interaction with someone, at least we made those touch points when they're there. I agree with you. And, you know, a genuine friendship is a very rare thing. I mean, he who has a true friend at the end of his life has a treasure. That's what the Bible says. It means it, means, it says treasure. It means that you have a fortune. Uh, you have something worth all the money in the world. And it's true. But beyond whether or not we actually find the soulmate of our life, someone to share our heart with, you know, there's just having communion with other people, period, is something we all crave for. I'm thinking of radio, for example, as an example of that in your show right now. I think, you know, like the people listening, we have a, a, a kind of strange communion with them because we're sharing this time and this topic together. And people love to listen to live radio for that very reason. And I I would just encourage everyone, even if it's not something as deep as you'd like, to have those touch points. Because the more that you can engage with other people, the more you can see the face of God. God is not there in the social media. Uh, God is not there in electronics. God's not there in your little window of yourself. He's there in the gift of yourself to other people. And so I, I really applaud what you said there. I think it's a great idea. And 
And it, it's just that you have to, sometimes we have such high expectations that it's unrealistic. It starts with a smile and a wish of a good day to somebody who's just eager to receive it from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was even reading an article and I'll touch on this tomorrow about how to start making new friendships, like really concrete, simple things. It might seem so like a how-to guide for dummies, but I'm going to walk through that tomorrow on the show because I think we do need it. And all of us could use a little, I think maybe pick me up in our skills of how to engage socially, to be open and create those doors for friendship. But one thing that's been on my mind, if you're just joining me, it's our happy hour today on trending. That's Father Nathan Cromley. He's the founder and president of the St. John Institute. You can find them at stjohninstitute.org. Father Nathan, the topic of friendship, something that I've really been pondering is I think sometimes we're so desperate for friendships and relationships that we want too much too soon out of friendships even. You know, we see this a lot in the dating scene, but out of friendships, it's almost as if someone expects like the first time, the first couple of interactions, you pour your heart out, you share a lot of your lives, you maybe solve some problems in your lives and, you know, you feel edified right away. But I don't think friendships often build to that level for quite a long time. And as you said, sometimes it's a matter of just simply sharing in each other's time together and not getting to such intimate and deep level of a friendship. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's actually a pitfall a lot of people fall into, which is very unhealthy. Uh, Friendships are all about respect. And and you got to remember too, that no friend can fill the hole that's in your heart. Sometimes I think God even allows us to go through periods of loneliness just to convince us that he alone is the one who can fill our hearts and to keep our hearts open for him. A true friend won't try to fill that heart. A true friend will push us towards God. And so that sharing too much is definitely a, 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 an easy mistake because it seems like you instantly have what you're looking for, but you don't. Uh, if you really look at what the hallmark of a friendship is, Aristotle says, a friend is someone who wishes another's good, to will another's good, to want someone to advance and to be better, to be holier. Well, gosh, if I really want that for another person, well, I'm not just focused then on getting my needs met. I'm focused on trying to see how I can help that person to be the best version of themselves. And if I'm blessed enough to have them do the same for me, well, then we can begin a friendship. But remember that great quote by Aristotle. He says, you're not a friend until you've eaten a bag of salt together. <laughs> Meaning you take a whole <laughs> bag of salt. That's a lot of dinners, right? It's a couple shakes of salt per meal. He's like, you have to go through a whole bag of salt before you can consider someone a friend. It's interesting you say that. I've not heard that quote from Aristotle, but a few years ago, I was looking at an article and I'll have to revisit it, maybe add it to the conversation for tomorrow. But it was talking about how there's a certain number of hours that you need to build up for friendships to be built to a certain level. And basically, I remember just draw, like it was a jaw-dropping reaction for me looking at, I don't have time to build that many hours up in a friendship to get to maybe where I want to be. And I think at the time I was living in the Midwest, didn't really have any friendships. It was very isolating. And it was overwhelming to look at some of this research that was consistently coming out that, like Aristotle said, without all the research, research, you have to share a bag of salt together in order to consider someone a true friend. I think that's a challenge for us and maybe a little bit of uh, humility and self-sacrifice to put in the time of having simpler friendships rather than, again, putting maybe the role of God on other people to fulfill us emotionally. 
Well, and remember too, some of the automatic places that are there. Like I, the other day I did a Peloton for the first time and I couldn't believe it. I could have, <laughs> I could have shared my Peloton experience. I could be following other people on Pelotons, this, you know, or uh, people have gar Garmin watches or Fitbits. Um, you know I mean? Like, well, maybe that's an easy way to at least start and, and let the time come. Don't think of it so quantitatively, everyone. I think the real secret is to, to, to look for people who are looking for your good that you can look after. And then look what you share in is more important than the ache of your heart to have a friend because God is there also in the loneliness and God is there also in the solitude and God wants to be our friend. So as important as it is, um, I think if you start with finding peace with God and peace with his friendship, it becomes a lot easier to become real friends instead of the human vacuum cleaner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just seeking to suck anyone who's near you, you know, into your, the whole of your heart. <laughs> now, much of the New Testament is very inspiring, Father Nathan, when it comes to friendship and edifying one another and building each other up. Much of the early church was focused on this new growing community of friendship in the Lord. It's inspiring to see that that's what it was at the core of the new church the early church and i think of even in the letter to the hebrews in chapter 10 where we read let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and i thought that it was interesting even at the time of the early church that sometimes it was easy to neglect meeting each other that even in the letter to the hebrews they were told make sure you spend that quality time together in love and good works and encouraging each other and you know what, uh, Timory, this is the great opportunity. We joked around a little bit about euchre, you know, but from the, there are, if we, if we look for the advantage, all look for something that you like to do and try to share it. Well, our life can be full of color. The other day, someone gave me an app for bird watching. And this <laughs> thing is the coolest app ever. Cause if you heard a bird, you could turn the app on and it would tell you what bird that you're listening to and it's migrating wow. pattern and all kinds of things. And you could connect with other people who are listening to the same bird. And I was amazed by the power of the connectivity that was on something as silly as that. But honestly, guys, if, if you're, if you're not, if you don't have any hobbies, well, your life is poorer in other aspects too. I think may, maybe the, the need that we have to do this actually could drive us to more interesting lives. Uh, lives that are a little bit more full of real things from stargazing to bird watching to book clubs to card games to, to crafts to working on engines, you know, things that, that are human at their core. Uh, because it's at those types of things where we're going to then be able to, to meet people who are also looking for that genuine humanity and maybe even go some, in, into a relationship that's, that's more life giving. And I'll share, I think sometimes I personally with friendships I have a hard time because I'm not, I'm fine with small talk, but I want to engage in ideas. And sometimes it's hard when, you know, maybe you're not on the same page and you have to be open to the other person embracing them where they're at, but also seeking out those things that you take interest in as you're saying, Father Nathan, I was just thinking of my mom has a group of people who she studies Robert's rules with and Robert's rules are kind of the governing body of how you interact politically within the different Democrat and Republican parties uh, to push and change things within the party platform and on the local level in the meetings. And it's just so random, but they literally read Robert's rules together or a friend of mine or my sister-in-law actually just went on a writer's 
retreat. It, there's so many things that you can do with people who maybe may be near your age range, totally different age range. But I think there's a lot to be said of even that intergenerational friendship and mentorship that I also think is part of filling this void in this loneliness epidemic and need for friendship. Father Nathan, you're here. We're going to talk about marriage and what's happening in England. I think it's tied to this friendship epidemic as well. If you have a question for Father Nathan, it's Ask a Priest today on Trending. The number is 888-914-9149. That's our toll-free line, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Again, it's 888-914-9149. What's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending here. I'm discussing the topic of friendship and marriage with Father Nathan Cromley. He's the founder and president of the St. John Institute. Excellent resource for building up leaders both at home and in the workplace. So please check them out at stjohninstitute.org. They have excellent, excellent retreats for young adults as well under their Eagle Eye program. So please check out this website, stjohninstitute.org. It's been extremely formative for me, actually, in many of the retreats I've gone on over the years with Father Nathan and some of the other priests from the community of St. John. Father Nathan, marriage is disappearing in England. I recently read a fascinating article where it touched on the fact that there's a steep increase in divorce in England. In fact, just between the year 2020 and 2021, there was a 9.6 increase. According to the Marriage Foundation, which is a research body in the UK, by the age of 14, nearly half of all children are not living with both biological parents. Those are astounding numbers as we look at them. Now, it's interesting because Bishop Bishop Mark Davies of Shrewbury, England, recently commented on marriage as not simply being on a cataclysmic decline, but he cited how even secular headlines in England are commenting that marriage is disappearing in Britain altogether. Why do you think this is happening right now? And maybe the better question is, how do we convince people to get married and then second to stay married? Oh, gosh, Timory, what an amazing question. Uh, You know, there's so much that goes into this. uh, But I think that, you know, what's important for us is each one of us in our own hearts to take stock of what's going on in our own life with respect to the love that we have for the family. Because like I could talk about, I mean, from a societal thing, it goes back to the, the, the legalization and promotion of contraception. I mean, div- an increase in divorce and a disrespect for marriage was predicted by Paul VI when, in 1969, he issued his famous document on Humani Vitae. And people, you know, continue to ignore that. And then we act like there's not going to be any consequences for it. One of them is exactly what he said. Marriage will not be held in high esteem. And so you could you could go there and you could go through a whole bunch of other sociological critiques about the materialism of our culture, the trivialization of sexuality. Um, but it all goes back in the end to a lack of appreciation for the beauty and the power of what it means to give one's body to another. Right. And so once you the, from the concept of the mentality, that's a big 
reason behind that. But fun, foundationally, it has its philosophical roots that go back even deeper to a denial of the importance of the body. And so if, if, I, if I see my body as a part of myself, then I see the gift of my body to my spouse as something absolutely sacred that could not be repeated, and yet that is priceless in its value. Because as I give my body to my spouse, my spouse receives me and gives their body back to me in the secret of a marriage that is so secret that it is sacred. Um, and, and that value, well, I mean, like, I, I think that for as, the darker that the world becomes, the brighter the light shines. And the beauty of what that means is something that I think that every natural heart longs for. And, and the way to recover it is to put the, the value back on the sacred nature of the body as united to the soul and made in the image and likeness of God, the human soul that gives itself through the body. Uh, so I, there's a lot to say about it, but I, I, I want to make that point for each one of us, like that there's a pathway forward here that's deeper than just the social, the social uh, impact of a marriage or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And it's for so each economic. one of us to recover the, 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 yeah, the, the, the desire and the plan that God has for us to live in and through the unique gift of our body. Father Nathan, I love that you put the emphasis on regaining that understanding of the sacred nature of the body and the soul. It was a couple months ago this summer as I was looking at everything that was happening from the gender issue to everything surrounding the push again for same-sex marriage being implemented in state constitutions with the imminent overturning of Overshell versus Hodges, which makes marriage between supposedly a man and a man and a woman and a woman possible. And I just kept thinking of Pope St. John Paul II's work as he focused so preeminently on that communion between body and soul and the foundation of understanding our human anthropology through that lens of our Catholic faith and a biblical anthropology. And so we're walking through this series. Uh, we're on a week about 12 or 13, going through every single one of his catechetical talks. And right now we're in the midst of this section on celibacy that we'll be diving into tomorrow and how when we see the power of that union of body and soul and our ability of free choice, of free will, with the understanding of the gift of the body, it's so inspiring for people. And I think that's what's so wonderful about some of the younger Catholic formation I've seen is they've had some of that theology of the body formation over the last 20 years or so. Uh, and yet it's something that everyone needs. It's not just a theology of the body of sexuality. It's not just for teenagers or young adults, but at its core is that growing understanding and really catechesis of falling in love with the gift of our bodies as God has given us them to us today. Oh, Timory, because, you know, it touches so many other aspects of our lives. Uh, it, it touches, for example, the value that we give to our words and the, the power that we have to speak and to represent ourselves through our words. It, it, it speaks to the value of arts, decorations, mm -hmm. the way that we hold our houses, the gardening that we engage in, uh, and, and the, the, the beautiful things that we represent, hospitality, and all of the rituals and mm -hmm. customs around receiving another person, the power of conversation, all of these things. I could keep going through the list. Mm -hmm. I mean, anything that where our body is, is part of it is influenced by the way that we view it. And so I think it's a, it's a Catholic moment for us because I'm amazed that even as you have the, 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 the uh, spreading 
of uh, a view of, of rampant sexual energy, you have a devaluation at the same time, a devaluing of what sex actually means to the point where many people are finding it trivial, trivialized, or something that, that could, they could even do without or something that they find boring so that our young people today aren't even incentivized to look forward to that. But if you speak about marriage and not just sexual union, but marriage, ah, the commitment of another human being to you in good times and in bad, sickness and in health, with no possibility for that bond to be broken, no, no authority on earth able to rule it, but only able to facilitate it. I mean, you're talking about an, an eruption of God onto the scene of history through and in your family. It's such a powerful act of freedom that I think every heart naturally longs for it. We just need to tell the story with our own words and stop playing defense about marriage and start playing offense. Start to show the beauty and to, and to speak of it boldly. And I think we'll find it to have a persuasive force of attraction. You made me think of the need for confidence in fidelity. I think that at the back of a lot of people's minds, because of the preeminence of divorce in the West, there's always that mindset of what if, what if they leave me? What if divorce, or I could always choose a divorce if I wanted. And I've been intrigued over the last handful of years. And especially because I've taught Pilates over the years as well. And for some reason, all the fallen away Catholics always seem to be my clients. And as I'm working with them one-on-one -on -one, <laughs> time after time after time, I come across either a fallen away Catholic or a child of a fallen away Catholic. And all of them had faithful, intact marriages, even though they themselves were either practicing no religion whatsoever or were fallen away Catholics who occasionally thought about their religion. But one thing that they always shared over and over again, Father Nathan, that I spoke vol that spoke volumes was they still had that Catholic vow of fidelity in marriage. Even if they didn't get married in the Catholic church, they said, well, our family stays married. Our family is faithful. Divorce isn't an option. It almost becomes kind of a symbol of pride within the family, and it stemmed and rooted back really to the Catholic faith. And so I think one of those key components, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, is in communicating verbally even in our marriages that divorce is never an option. Even if we're at the worst, the worst, we are going to figure this out. I will put an effort. Like We need to be able to communicate when things are so stark and challenging that we still know divorce isn't an option. So have that peace to then move through it and w work forward on whatever needs to be worked on in those circumstances. You know, it reminds me of a story that I, I recently, you know, heard from a, a married couple that during the beginning parts of their marriage was having a very rough time. And in the middle of a dinner, one of their children interrupted them and said to the, to the, the parents, you know, are you getting a divorce? Cause they were at the table fighting. And the wife said she turned to her husband and said, well, are we? And the mm. husband looked at her and said, that word will never be said again in this household. And the wife, years later, 50, you know, now they've been married 52 years, they were telling me. She still remembers that moment as the turning point because she mm. suddenly knew that they were going to make it because there was this decision that they had to make it. Now, there's sometimes where where things don't work out in that way. I mean, and, you know. There, there's abuse that can take place. There's, there's bad situations. But I think I'd like to give a word of encouragement to all your young people who are listening. If you're really worried about the future of, of getting married, date well. And honestly, purity during your dating is just as, as, is really essential. 
to being able to have a good discernment of the character of the person that you're getting married to. I mean, if you date well, there shouldn't be that much mystery left, you know, in terms of like, well, what kind of person are they? Well, you, you need to find that out. But sometimes we jump into impurity so quickly or just overly romantic situations so often, so frequently, and so quickly that it blurs the mind. And we think that they're attached to us as we think we're attached to them with a very deep attachment, but actually it's just the passions. And so mm -hmm. uh, there might there's a place for, for romance and dating, of course, and for falling in love. But I want to give a word to watch the look in the other person's refrigerator. See what kind of spices they have in their spice rack, <laughs> because that's going to determine a heck of a lot. It tells you a heck of a lot about the person. Look at their budget. See how they spend their time. See how they resolve conflict. See what they do when they're stressed out. See even what, how they fight with you if you argue with them. These are all really important things, but then it's not so scary to take that plunge because you know the person that you're marrying. But if you, if you allow yourself to go into impurity, guys, like you just got it, you got to pull back from that because that's mm -hmm. not, that's not what's going to help you to put your marriage on the foundation that you need to mm -hmm. be on. And if you can't be faithful outside of marriage in terms of being faithful to yourself and the fact that you're not married, how are you going to be faithful inside of marriage? And I think a lot of people go, well, this person was stressed or I was stressed or give these circumstances. That's a big red flag. But what happens in marriage when things get difficult? Because marriage gets difficult <laughs> and pornography is on the rise, infidelity is on the rise, divorce is on the rise. You have to be able to show fidelity outside of marriage if you're going to show it inside of marriage. Well, every, every once in a while, a couple will come and they'll say, you know, Father, we're living together outside of marriage, but we want to get married in the church. You know, is that okay? And, you know, it's a kind of a little quip that I, I throw their way, but it makes them think. I say, well, if it's okay with you to marry somebody who's okay with sleeping with another person outside of marriage, <laughs> then, then, then I guess it's okay, you know. But, like, think about what you're saying to each other when you yeah. move in and cohabitate. You're actually okay with your spouse sleeping with someone outside of marriage. Well, that's not okay. Well, then if it's not okay, then let's start to typify that now. And that's not mm -hmm. going to help the situation. You know, if you can go bird watching together, that's the sign. <laughs> or euchre, to go back to our classic example, Timmy. <laughs> these are the ways that you build up a true friendship. I have two quick questions I want to run by you because we've had so many questions come in on social media. Um, one of them is, and I thought this was just an interesting one. As a priest, what are your greatest joy? What is your greatest joy and your greatest sorrow? Oh, goodness. My greatest joy easily is to say Holy Mass without a doubt. Uh, I, I, I live and die for that. My greatest sorrow as a priest is to see people not respond to grace. Mm. That, that's, that really is, it's hard. When you've given everything to the Lord and you spend your time going around trying to promote Him, to see the apathy in souls, that, that strikes to the heart. Mm. Another question, Diana on Instagram asked, she's a, a mom, 29 years old, and has a son who's five years old, and the child has cancer. If you could share a brief word of encouragement in how to navigate keeping the faith with childhood cancer for her young child. Oh, well, Diana, I think the very, the very first thing you need to do, of course, is to reach out and find some fellowship because you're not the only one to go through this and finding other mothers and fathers who understand your pain in linking arms with them is really very, very important. Second is never give up on hope. No matter how dire the situation is, 
You never give up on hope. And remember that line from scripture, where there is love, there is God. And so if you're seeking for God, throw yourself into loving that, that child every day and, and receiving every moment that you have as a gift from God with them. Remember in the end that all of our children, just like ourselves, they are gifts from God. And so we, we, they're in the hands of God even more than in our hands. And we take care of them for as long as God gives us to take care of them. But keep your eye on Jesus and your eye on God because they are the author and the maker of, of all life. Link arms with your brothers and sisters who have gone through it and then celebrate every day that you have and never give up on hope. Without faith, things are unimaginable, but with faith, we can persevere through anything. And prayers for your son and for yourself, Diana, we will add you to our prayer list here at Relevant Radio. And I want to put a plug in for Father Nathan's program, stjohninstitute.org. Love everything you're doing and building up leaders, young adults, professionals. Please check out this resource, stjohninstitute.org. That's Father Nathan Cromley here on Trending with Tim Ray. We've also tagged him on social media. I'll be right back. Are you trying to save your marriage by yourself? Is it possible? Licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder will join me to discuss how you can save your marriage by yourself. Stay with me. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Are you trying to fix your marriage? Are you trying to fix your marriage by yourself? Maybe your spouse won't go to therapy. Maybe your spouse isn't willing to change. Is it possible to do anything on your own? Licensed marriage and family therapists will join me in just a moment to give a message of hope of what you can do. But first, it's November in just a handful of days. And in November, we celebrate the lives of our friends and family who have passed away and pray for their entry into the kingdom of heaven. Join your Relevant Radio family in prayer as we offer a novena for these holy souls. Submit up to 20 names of your departed loved ones at relevantradio.com slash souls. That's relevantradio.com slash souls. You'll also receive daily reflections from Father Rocky during the novena. And be sure to join us in prayer here at Relevant Radio for daily mass, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and the Family Rosary Across America as we pray for our deceased loved ones together. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinderer. And this is a hot topic right now, especially as we've discussed that basically we've seen a rapid increase even in places such as England with the bishops commenting there that divorce is on the rise. In fact, marriage is almost seeming obscure and unthinkable and very uncommon. Even secular secular people are commenting on this in the media today in England, and we see it here in the United States as well, perhaps not as stark quite yet as England. But I thought this was an interesting topic. Licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Henders here. Doug, we hear a lot of people who will comment that I'm trying to fix my marriage, but I'm doing it all by myself. My spouse won't go to counseling. My spouse doesn't want to change. Is it possible to fix your marriage on your own? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear that a lot. I actually do. And yes, there is quite a lot you can do to fix uh, your marriage or strengthen it. That's always better if both are involved in the process. But I think, you know, you look at it in terms of behaviors and emotions. Behaviors trigger emotions. Think of an emotion as something that activates movement. 
So your spouse says or does something, and that triggers an emotion in you, which then drives you to say or do something in return, which triggers an emotion in your spouse, which then triggers them to say or do something. And so by focusing on your behaviors and your emotions, and you can make changes that can actually improve your marriage. So focus on a, uh, for first, those things that you do that perhaps trigger negative emotions in your spouse. So what do you do that kind of irritates your spouse or gets on your spouse's nerves? What do you say or do that triggers those emotions? And if you can make those changes, stop doing those things, stop saying those things, then your spouse isn't going to have negative emotions triggered. That's a step in the right direction. And then by, you know, a little reflective thinking, what are those things you say or do that actually bring happiness or joy into your spouse's life? Do more of those things. So do less of the things that trigger negative emotions, more of the things that trigger positive emotions. That's going to put your spouse in a better place and a happier place. They will then be kinder and gentler to you as the theory goes. I love these two takeaways because it's not just if your marriage is in peril. This is something that can help improve it every marriage, no matter what phase of marriage you're in. So you're saying focus on your emotions and your reactions, especially those that negatively impact your spouse and work on them. Eliminate the words, phrases, or actions that are causing it. And then second, focus on the things that bring joy to your spouse. Can you give some concrete examples of how you've seen this done for someone who goes, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what upsets my spouse. Everything I do upsets them. Everything I say, everything they say. How do you break it down to something concrete to begin with? And I know this requires a lot of humility, but just a good yeah. starting place. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think, you know, acts of kindness are, are good. You know, in the book, a lot of people read the book, The Five Love Languages, right? That's a good Love place it. to start. I think, yeah, think about what it is, how your spouse wants to be loved. Do they like words of affirmation? Do they like acts of kindness? Do they like physical touch? What is that? You know, think about it. There's all kinds of online tests you can take, right? To help you figure that out. Do that and then do those things that are important to your spouse. So if they're, you know, physical touch, don't buy them presents every day because that's not going to mean anything, <laughs> but give them a hug, hold their hand, you know, uh, give a little neck massage, you know, when they're sitting there watching TV, something like that. Um, <laughs> and so tuning into those positive things the the couples get into what we call negative sentiment override, where they just start focusing on the negatives in their spouse rather than the positives. Well, the way to drive out, the way to change that is to focus on your spouse's positives. And as those become bigger, more present in your mind, you're not going to be quite as observant in the negative. So do more positive things that will really get your uh, spouse feeling uh, happy and, and in a good place. That's licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. We're talking about how you can fix your marriage on your own. Something that came to mind to me when you gave us that third step of working on letting go of those negative sensitive overdrives by focusing on the positive was an a activity I started doing about 10, 15 years ago was especially just seasons in my life where I needed it. I'd take out my rosary and of course, you know, you pray rosary, but on the rosary on every beat, I'd walk through and say something I'm thankful for one thing after another, after another. And since oh, wow. I've been married, I've enjoyed doing that sometimes when yeah. praying for my spouse, you know, sometimes there's just a day where 
you're overloaded, the interactions weren't necessarily the best, or maybe there just there needs to be that boost. And I find it so helpful even to try to go around the whole rosary, just thinking of one small little thing you want to be thankful for, you've been thankful for over the years. And your mindset, my mindset is in a much better place after that. I love that. I mean, because I, because then you're tying prayer with focusing on your spouse and, you know, you're going to come up with what, 50, 60 different positives <laughs> about your spouse. That's a lot. And if you can yeah. do that, that's pretty good. Now, you know, an, another trick is when you come up with these 50 or 60 really positive things about your spouse, write them down and, and mm. put them on a card, you know, and a few times a week, leave that card, you know, in front of the coffee pot or the mirror in the bathroom that says, I just want you to know, I love how, how gently I see you hug our baby. I just want you to know, I just love, I just so appreciate how hard you work to support us or provide for us or to keep everything going well in our home. So these little love notes around that says, Hey, I, I know what a good person you are. And I, you know, we get, we got each other's nerves sometimes, but at the end of the day, I am so blessed that you are in my life. So these little cards, little love notes are really powerful things. It's little things are really very big in a marriage. These, I think, are really helpful tools. And I guess my new homework is working on those love cards, as you say. You know, here's something I see often where, okay, you recognize your spouse isn't helping to change things in your marriage. So there's that question. My spouse isn't doing anything. They won't go to counseling. You just gave these three excellent steps, and I'll repeat them again at the end of what to do. But maybe you start working on things. And then you start resenting the fact that nothing is changing mm. as you're working yeah. on things. What should be a timeline where you expect to see changes or where you mm. need to course correct again? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's tough. I mean, you may not ever see changes, right? I mean, sometimes you're married to somebody who just is obstinate or they're just not going to change. Sometimes they'll change very quickly. So it's really hard to know, but generally we like people who are nice to us. And so the nicer we are to our spouse, the greater the chances they're going to start liking us again and start being nice to us. So you should see changes fairly quickly. I would think, you know, in a month or so, you should start seeing some changes. Uh, course correct. I, I just, you know, other than, you know, I don't know what else can you do other than kill them with kindness? You know, that's the thing. And just, just keep treating them with great charity and great kindness. And I, you know, we're, we are called to love our spouse unconditionally, which means they may not always be the nicest to us and we're still called to be nice to them. And one of the real dangers in a marriage is when we start keeping score, right? So mm -hmm. I've done these 10 nice things for you and you haven't done anything nice for me. Well, now I, I should stop until we even the score. And Mm -hmm. Scorekeeping almost always ends up hurting a marriage. It almost never ends up benefiting a marriage. Mm -hmm. What about offering things up in marriage? I know you're a mar licensed marriage and family therapist, but you're also Catholic, and our Catholic tradition is yeah. very robustly focused on making an offering of our suffering, of giving oh, yeah. that sacrifice. And so how do you fuse sound psychology with the Catholic Church's teaching of embracing suffering yeah. as an offering and a sacrifice? Yeah. Great question. I love it. And yeah, I spend a lot of time helping couples accept the sufferings that are in their marriage. The research is really clear. 69% of the conflicts that couples have are not fixable. They will be with mm -hmm. you for your entire life. 
yeah, for instance, I'm a morning person and my wife's a night owl. Well, over the years, that leads to conflict sometimes. Well, she's never going to be a morning person. I'm never going to be a night owl. So there's a lot of opportunity here to offer up these little inconveniences, little annoyances around that issue, right? So 70%, 69% are, is, is the cross that you're going to get to carry. Well, I, I nowhere in life, I think, do we have the opportunity to carry more crosses, to practice forgiveness more than in marriage. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's a great thing to unite our sufferings mm -hmm. with Christ, to offer our sufferings up for our children, for their souls, their salvation, for our spouse, for peace in the world, whatever. So a lot of opportunities to suffer in marriage. And that's a good thing. Christ came to this earth not to eliminate suffering, but to teach us how to sanctify it. And so we get a lot of opportunities in marriage to sanctify our suffering. And sometimes I find when I choose to embrace like something small, and this is just how awful I can be, like something so small, like, okay, I'm called to offer this up. I'm called to let go of it. I'll give one example. There are things that all of us do that we're unaware of, like completely unaware of yep. like behaviors. Absolutely. It could be the wet towel on the bed. It could be something my husband is wonderful at helping to pick up the house, helping with, you know, lending a hand everywhere. But one thing just isn't aware of sometimes are shoes. He'll put it one pair of shoes in the corner here, <laughs> one pair outside the door there. And it used to drive me nuts. And finally, but you know what, this is an opportunity to love him. Just go put the shoes away. And it's so funny because he's always asking me, where are my shoes? And I said, well, which <laughs> pair? The pair at the front door, the pair here. And it almost becomes something lighthearted when yeah. One, I chose to, okay, you know what? This is an opportunity to love my husband. But then two, yeah. I realized how trivial it was that I was becoming so angry and embittered and resentful yeah. over something so simple. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it says little things are powerful, right? And even little bad things can be pretty powerful. And, you know, I think the devil's greatest tool that he tries to use to destroy marriages is to get us to focus on the negatives in our spouse. And by saying, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to love unconditionally, for me to love sacrificially. This is a gift that he leaves these shoes laying around because I can really love him now the way Christ loves me sacrificially. Mm -hmm. uh, boy, now you've turned something bad into something really good. So mm -hmm. well done, Timory. Well done. That's Doug Hinder here on Trending with Timory. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. His website is happymarriageforlife.com. That's happymarriageforlife.com. Doug, I want to recap those three things you told us to do. Can you run through those real quick in the last little bit of time we have left? Yeah. So take a look at your behaviors, those things that you say or do that uh, irritate your spouse or cause them to be unhappy, trigger negative emotions for them, and stop doing those. Take a look at those things that can actually, that you say or do that make your spouse happy and do more of those. And then take a look at your own emotional reactions to your spouse when they say or do things that trigger emotional or negative things for you. And then kind of get control of that and look at your spouse's negative things as opportunities to love unconditionally and to, to be part of that cross for, for, uh, for your spouse. Amen. Excellent opportunity for positive reinforcement in our marriage. And that's your tip from Doug Hinder, licensed marriage and family therapist on how to fix your marriage all by yourself. Great resource for marriage and healing at happymarriageforlife.com. Thank you, Doug, for joining us. Up next is the Family Rosary. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Infertility is on the rise, but what do you do when you find out you can't have children? What are the next steps? What does healing look like? How does this impact your marriage? To share her story of hope, 
Emily Simpson Chapman will join me to share her journey of healing after not being able to conceive children. Join me 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app on Tuesday.